0: At times it's becoming farcical and you have to really feel for these players and management. This isn't normal in any shape or form. For your first chance to hear Brian O'Driscoll on
1: OTB, download the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications.
0: The Snap on OTB Sports brought to you in association with the Aer Lingus College Football Classic. Northwestern Wildcats versus Nebraska Huskers at the Aviva Stadium on Saturday, the 27th of August, 2022. Get tickets first. Official pre sale is Friday, the 19th of November. And you're very welcome along to The Snap, your one stop shop for all things American football here on Off the Ball. I'm Ronald Mullen, joined as ever this week by Keen Fahey. Keen, how are things?
1: Is that a Phoenix Suns jumper? It sure is. It looks like it's from like 1998.
0: Listen, I, the retro stuff is back in, Kane, you should know that more than me, you, you're so uh, entrenched in all things America, you know the basketball gear is, is where it's at.
1: Yeah, I'm guessing was that uh, Shaq wasn't there at that stage, was he? he would have been around that time, so it's, it's probably a fitting retro top.
0: But like Chris Paul's there now, so that's, that's the main thing, everybody loves him, right?
1: Yeah, about as much as everyone loves me on Twitter.
0: Well, well, that's uh, open to interpretation, Keen. I think you, we'll have to clarify that at a, at a later date. but as people heard there at the top of the show, we are brought to you in association with the Erlingus College Football Classic. be the first to get tickets to see Northwestern versus Nebraska at the Viva Stadium. That's on Saturday, 27th of August 2022. You can get tickets through the official game presale on Friday, November 19th. And as myself and Keen have discussed over the last few weeks, there's a lot more. To these games than just the on-field experience OTB's owen sheehan was stateside last weekend to sample the atmosphere we are here outside ryan field where northwestern have been beaten by university of iowa let's have a look at what the car park was like before the game
1: traditions on game day
0: are we come here i had a friend roger we used to have an ambulance that would come we've got about six spots usually about 40 50 people we tend to go into the game at start time. We don't always do it. We got a bunch of people who have TVs in the back of their cars. And we like to imbibe a little bit. I got a new streaming thing with my phone so we can stream all the channels we need, watch the games, go into the game. Yeah. You know, have a cigar, but don't tell my wife. Hey, win or lose is still booze. I uh, I mean, tailgates are always great here. You, you just you, you get in the parking lot, you take down some beers and you say go Cats. It's basically all you do. Pats Fitzgerald is a gift from God to Evanston, to the United States, and soon to
1: Ireland. We love Fitz. Hashtag Go Cats! Cats! Well, when you host a tailgate, first of all, your food's got to be excellent. Your your beers have got to be excellent. you got to have Jameson's, which I forgot to pick up myself. If you're day drinking, you can't drink all day unless
0: you start in the morning. Big fan of Ireland. And uh, anyway, so we have a metric here. So what we have is uh, standard blue uh, thing here, please. So. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna shove this into the hand. Like so. Hashtag go-cats. Gotta shove it in there with the huh? Where'd he go? Magic mark, where'd he go? Oh!
1: oh my god! Oh my god!
0: Hashtag GoCats. People come from hundreds of miles around to gather this. We're baking a chocolate cake. Over what? Here. We got a in the Dutch oven. We're cooking a chocolate cake for everyone. It's actually a chocolate brandy cherry torte. Can we see? Yeah. So that's a chocolate cake. Yes. My message to Irish people, be ready. There's no greater, no more powerful team in the Big Ten than the Purple. No greater force in the Big Ten than the Northwestern Wildcats. We're going to play Nebraska? Nebraska sucks. And the Cats are great. No, no, no.
1: We're talking about hashtag GoCats against Nebraska and Ireland.
0: Uh, well, oh, yeah, <laughs> Nebraska. Yeah. Oh, yeah, <laughs> Nebraska. And that's
1: something we can get behind because their corn is just a lot worse than ours, and it's kind of embarrassing at that point. We've probably been to carry three or four times. Loved it. We're, we're watching play wish. What, what sport do they play like when, when they're hitting? With... <laughs> loved it. <laughs> loved it. Couldn't do it, but I loved it. I mean, we're going to win by 30. If we score 30, we probably won't. But at the end of the day, go Hawks, and I want you guys to take care.
0: Don't act, don't act stupid. Don't act stupid.
1: Well, what I really want to say is, you know, we've had
0: a couple of rough, rough two weeks. But you know, we're Midwest. and We ball, and hey, I'm Be from ready. Chicago. I'm from Chicago. Don't get me wrong. I love, I love, I love Chi-town. But you know what it is? At the end of the day, Northwestern can off. We are Hawks City, baby. Let's run. Oh
1: no! Della Yangs! Della Come on now!
0: Dollar Yangs!
1: Dollar no. drinks at summit! Come ride! Let's go!
0: Yes. Oh my gosh! I love the loop! I'll bring Guinness! We actually are going to Ireland. Guinness! Guinness! Guinness. Guinness. Well, Guinness. Heard it's way better there than here! Guinness.
1: Guinness. Guinness! I'm obnoxious!
0: Look, I came to Evanston for one reason, and that's to speak my mind. And that's exactly what I'll do. What's on my mind right now? Iowa football. That's one thing. That's on my mind. Northwestern's number one fan. I bleed purple. Well, uh, I mean, I'm drinking a Loverboy now, but normally it's either a Guinness or a Smittwicks.
1: We are legally going to kill him in football terms. That's all I have to say.
0: We're for Iowa! We're play. Play for Iowa! We're guys! Day. I fight, fight! For Iowa! want are and raptors! Right. Go Hawks! we gonna cheer! Get them my the camera! Get them on my camera! Hey, can I go interview these guys? Yeah, I love Loverboy. It's, it's great stuff. I'm not, I'm happily married. Guys, can I get a quick interview? We're here with, uh...
1: We're here with... Irish Radio. ...offtheball.com, off yeah. and
0: we are wondering, what's it like to be a Northwestern fan? Is it sad? Are you sad? Well, we can't be as sad when we were ranked and then, you know, top five in the country and then lost, you know, a couple times here and there.
1: In Dublin, they eat haggis, don't they? (laughs) What's so good about this year for Hawkeye fans?
0: What's so good about this year? We are ranked in the... uh, What's the the ranking? What's the ranking out of 25? Right now, we're 22. 22 out of 25? Yeah, where's Northwestern? 99% Uh, we're 99% graduation rate.
1: <laughs> cats beat Hawks by a million today. Give me that. Cats right. by a million. Cats We've already the best. accepted that we we might lose. No, no, <laughs> no. no, no cats, we're by we're cats by a million. We're going to win. Cats by a million. Cats by a million. By 90, at least. I think that as Northwestern students, you start to love Northwestern as a school, and you know that no matter what, even if you win or lose, you love, North, you love supporting the school. I love the cats. Okay, to answer your question. To answer your question, we
0: are very excited for this game. It's a great game. I can't imagine the fact that Northwestern's going to Dublin. That is unbelievable. I mean, it is. it is. It should. people should be going to see this. It's a lot of fun to do this and just to be out on a great day.
1: Oh, if I may,
0: for you people back in Ireland that think Americans are nothing but a bunch of assholes, we, we kind of
1: are. <laughs> Northwestern and Nebraska <laughs> are playing each other in Dublin. Nebraska? Nebraska? beat us by a lot this year, but it's going to be a different game no, in Dublin next, no, year. next year. I <laughs> say we different.
0: go. Road trip to Road Dublin.
1: Road trip to Dublin. We're all going to fly there. I don't know how the mic the works. The entire Northwestern population is going to fly to Dublin next year. We're all going to have a great time. Respect Ireland. We are assholes, but we will come back to Ireland several times. If you want to see a perfect encapsulation of American football on Irish soil, watch. Northwestern play Nebraska. It is going to sum up this great sport of ours better than I could in words. It is going to be two teams of just titanic proportions, colossuses of Midwestern corn-fed football players colliding against each other on the gridiron.
0: I hear all this talk from the Northwestern. It doesn't matter, guys. We're going to see what really happens in the game. Back to you, Kurt. And thanks to you, unnamed Iowa fan. I think that pretty much sums it up quite well. Keen the like, I love my time with NUIG and DC as much as the next person, but uh, game days weren't quite like that. It wasn't as much fun.
1: I went to college for three years to be a journalist. I spent 10 years trying to work as a journalist, and yet I'll never be as entertaining as a drunk guy shouting hashtag over and over again. I don't even know why we bother. Just, just, just send Sheehan to different games every week and just give him a camera, give him a microphone, and that should be our show. The rest us can just go home and not be here. Not be here.
0: For all his uh, esteemed journalistic accomplishments and being nominated for broadcast of the Year he's, he's found his sweet spot with those uh, roving videos but he encapsulated quite well the the crack that people can expect, I'd like to see Grafton Street and the like um, taken over on game day and game week, it'll all be a great experience but just to matters on the field Keen, and in terms of the, the college football brand generally we've spoken about how all-encompassing it is in the american sports landscape but similarly the fusion with the nfl is quite significant and it goes without saying that the players themselves the personnel that come into the league each year in the draft are the lifeblood of the game and and keep things rolling but play design and development like a lot of the stuff we see now at the top end of nfl play was rooted in in college football initially
1: yeah so the the way i kind of have to explain this, is college football is a a different sport to the NFL, essentially. They're both playing American football technically, but they have some different rules. But the real thing that makes it different is... So, so about 15 years ago, I was watching John Gardner play football in Junior A, or whatever it was, in Cork. And John Gardner was famously an all-star hurler, a very good hurler for Cork. And he was a great hurler. But he went down and you played Junior B football, or Junior A football, and you realize, just by being the athlete that he is... He's the best player on the field without even trying. And you always kind of can go through from junior B to junior A to intermediate to senior at club level. And then it's a completely different thing in intercounty. And then if there was an international, it would be a different thing again. In the NFL and in college football, that is happens. That's what happens. It goes from high school to college to the NFL. But it's at such a greater extreme. Like the top 0.1% of athletes in college are what make up the NFL. So then the top 0.1% of the athletes in the NFL are just completely different to anything you get anywhere else. So what that means is there's different things that you can do with those guys that you can't do in the college level. And the way it really has impacted the NFL over the last 10 or 15 years is it used to be the case that you wouldn't have athletes at the nfl level who could be so much better than everyone else around them and in particular the quarterbacks so lamar jackson didn't exist exist 15 years ago or at least he wasn't given the opportunity maybe he did in terms of michael vick but even michael vick wasn't on that same level that a bunch of quarterbacks have reached now and nfl coaches have done a better job of incorporating that into their offenses now so if you have a guy like lamar jackson who can run you will now use the option play designs that were previously thought to be gimmicks that wouldn't work in the nfl it actually kind of came about because Uh, The Miami Dolphins, years and years ago, used Ronnie Brown in that way to catch the the Patriots off guard. And once it worked against the Patriots, everyone kind of went, wait, that must not be a gimmick if it can beat Bill Belichick. So... That, then everything started to become about spreading everything out and getting as much speed on the field as possible, which was the way the college game has always been. So instead of having tight ends and extra blockers and fullbacks and everything is about running the ball because everything at the NFL was too athletic to, to run away from or to spread out, you could actually started doing that. And now you see offenses like the Kansas City Chiefs where it's all about Tyree Kill getting, getting downfield, Travis Kelsey running all over the field, Sammy Watkins last year before he left was all that space going side to side. And essentially, the difference is now we stretch defenses horizontally and vertically rather than just trying to run the ball and then throw the ball deep vertically, which is what the NFL used to be.
0: Yeah, and it stands to reason, I suppose, people are familiar with Friday Night Lights and the likes that the key core athlete has played at the quarterback position and everything's built outwards from there. And that used to be a non-starter in the NFL. But as you touched on there, it's increasingly the norm. We're going to speak about Josh Alden later, but he's not the kind of guy... You would typically have seen play quarterback, but what he what he offers athletically, as well as like it's it's kind of typifies the shift away from that statuesque quarterback, which never would have been the norm in, in college, but used to be the the whole thing in the NFL.
1: You know, isn't it funny? Now you say Friday Night Lights, you could mean a really really a uh, highly intelligent book, or you could mean that drama show that was like on for ten years. <laughs> I've no clue which one you're talking about.
0: Yeah, well, like I think Lamar Jackson is probably is he the exception that proves the rule or do you think there will be i'm not saying there's going to be lamar jackson every five or ten years but do you think that's going to be increasingly the norm whereby basically the top franchises entrust an athlete of that caliber at the quarterback decision making position
1: no i think it is the norm though because most quarterbacks can move at least a little bit and then you can see coaching sass will adjust when they can so last week you had the arizona cardinals have to play with colt mccoy after playing with kyler murray all year and it was essentially the same offense, the same style of offense. You just didn't have those running plays that uh, Kyler had. And actually, they did, they did call one or two running plays with Colton McCoy because he can move a little bit. But he's not like a great athlete like that. But when you have all the, the like when we used to say, oh, he can do, he can do things that most quarterbacks can't. So that's kind of changed a lot now because so many of the quarterbacks now are young athletes. Whereas you used to have guys. Well, like it's not really fair to say every, the norm was Philip Rivers and Eli Manning, but largely the norm was Philip Rivers and Eli Manning. And Brett Favre, guys who just stood in the middle and slung the ball from there. Now you can just do so many different things. And what it does, when you move the point of attack for the quarterbacks of where the ball is being thrown from, it changes the angle the ball goes to arriving at the wide receivers and at tight ends, which means the defenders have to change the way they defend they have to be able to see the quarterback more instead of just turning and running with guys and we talked about it with josh allen but there's a lot more zone coverage being played now and that's partly because of the rule changes as well but there's a lot more zone coverage now there's a lot more cautious defensive play which is contributing to these uh bigger scores and these higher touchdown numbers and a guy like james connor having a huge amount of touchdowns 11 already and it not really being a big deal because offense is so easy now
0: Yeah, and we're going to get into those NFL talking points in just a moment. We have a ton of American football goodness coming your way this week and the return of OTB Club Gridiron is in action already. It'll have highlights from the snap, reports from games, early bird tickets to events and more. You can also pick up the code now ahead of that exclusive 48-hour presale we mentioned earlier for November 19th. Sign up now at otbsports.com forward slash club gridiron. Now, time for the pick six. Yeah, so number one on the pick six, Keane, is what we led off with last week as well, I think. Uh, the situation with Odell Beckham Jr. And when we were chatting about it this time last week, it was presumptive, but it wasn't set in stone. And then a couple of hours later, the Browns released him and here we are, where he seems to have his pick of several different teams. Just of those being mooted, last I heard, the Chiefs were probably edging into first position, but he'd also indicated interest in the Saints and the Packers, which looks like a great fit to me. The Patriots seem like an outside chance. Number one, where do you think he's gonna end up? And number two, what's the best fit for him, do you reckon?
1: Uh, it looks like Kansas City is where he's gonna wind up, and how could you really blame him? Like, who wouldn't want to play in Kansas City? I know they're having so many problems this year, but you've still got Andy Reid there, you've still got Patrick Mahomes there. Andy Reid will put the ball in his hands of Patrick Mahomes, for as much as he struggled, he's still a very, very good quarterback, so you can put your trust there that he would be good. Um, where do I think uh, where do I think he could, or he would be best fit? I think he'd have the biggest impact in Baltimore, just because it's addressing the largest need of a team. And the other aspect of this is Odell has offset language in his contract, so what that means is there's no reason for teams to bid for him everyone's going to pay him a minimum amount of money because the Browns are still going to pay him most of what he gets anyway, regardless of what another team pays. Essentially, if, if another team offers him two million, he's not going to make more money. It just means the Browns won't have to pay that two million. So that's why he can kind of sit there and choose whichever is the best fit for him from a pure football or life point of view. I, I, I don't know how much of an impact it's going to be. I've seen comparisons to Randy Moss. Like, Randy Moss went to Oak... Randy Moss's career span was... In Minnesota superstar cut nobody could stop him best receiver you'll ever see went to oakland and was just not able to be an effective receiver completely destroyed there he was in a franchise that was not good and it it turned him in the wrong direction the he then went to new england and set records and was a superstar once again and famously part of that 2007 patriots team so the thought process here is oh odell will go from a good franchise to a bad franchise and back to a good franchise and then he'll be a good receiver again but i really do i i think he's lost the step I don't think he's a bad receiver by any, any means. I just think that ACL tear uh, put him put him a step backwards. And maybe it's a short-term thing. Maybe it's not a long-term thing. Either way, he's still a starting receiver. He's still an incredibly talented player. He's still someone pretty much everyone will want on his team. So if you add him to a Baltimore Ravens, you add him to a Kansas City Chiefs, you add him to a New England Patriots, I know the Green Bay Packers and the New Orleans Saints are being mentioned as well. The Packers make a lot of sense because they need a receiver. I just don't, I don't think it's going to happen and but I, the saints make some sense but not really because they don't have a quarterback at this stage so i can't really see odell going there because the other aspect of this is i think odell is taking his time because he he knows how important it is to get this one right he, he's he's going to be free agent at the end of this year no matter who he signs with he's going to sign a one-year deal a prove it deal so he needs to put up some numbers and make some plays and remind everyone of why he was such a big deal i think he'll go somewhere good i think he'll go to kansas city he'll go to uh or, or Green Bay or Baltimore, someone like that, and we'll get some big moments from him and he'll have a big impact on the, how the season plays out.
0: Yeah, it's intriguing because that video we chatted about last week where Odell's dad but that compilation of routes he ran and wasn't throwing the ball when he was open. And Kevin Stefanski's offense, obviously, is by design where you're supposed to be in a certain place at a certain time, so it might have been slightly misleading in terms of what that video was trying to represent. But at the same time, Mahomes, when he's, at his peak and we hope he gets back to his best at some point this season when he does sort of freelancing, gets out of the pocket and if he sees Odell Beckham Jr open, he's gonna find him. So that's probably the difference between Mahomes and Mayfield so as much as the Saints are being mentioned, it it makes way more sense to me that he would go to a team like the Packers or the Chiefs with a quarterback he can trust to deliver him the ball if he's in good position. But just on the Chiefs before we move on, they've obviously been faltering big time this season, would this be enough to get them back on track? Or is this a need they particularly have to address?
1: No. Uh, so I, I think what you mentioned there as well, it's important to know that like the Browns are a first offense. They're oriented on running the ball and they've paid two offensive linemen since they're letting Odell go. And that's kind of a reflection of who they need to be. The Chiefs are very much a pass oriented offense. And so Beckham being there would probably have a bigger impact. But does he usually change them? It's hard to know because so, Tyree Kill, obviously, is their number one receiver. Travis Kelce is obviously their best receiving option, even though he's a tight end and not a wide receiver. And then you've got McCole uh, oh Hardman, who drops everything that's thrown his way. Byron Pringle, who's okay. Uh, Demarcus Robinson, who's okay. So, there's a, an ability to a, uh, to upgrade there. You can come in there as Odell and change the team around. Josh Gordon hasn't done anything yet, so he's not someone you can expect anything from either. But if he goes into that team, it's still not going to change the way Mahomes is playing. And the way Mahomes is playing behind that offensive line, behind the, the, the effectiveness of the offensive line there, it, it's not good enough. Like it, it's, it's bizarre because the only explanation I have for him and Travis Kelsey right now is that there's something personal between the two of them. Because Kelsey is open all the time, and Mahomes is just not throwing the ball to him. Whereas back in the day, it was like, Travis Kelsey's there, he's my first option, I'm getting the ball to him, I'm throwing to him, I'm throwing to him. There's a, either an interception or a missed uh, third down play from two weeks ago are when Kelsey is running wide open underneath and Holmes throughout his whole career has seen that and thrown it to him and got it to him and they've got the first down and they've kept going and it's big play, big play, big play. But for whatever reason, two weeks ago and all this season, he sees that now and he throws to the guy who's covered further downfield. And it, it, it's bizarre. Last week they opened the game with a, a touchdown to Travis Kelsey over the middle and I thought, yeah, look, they're going to emphasize him. They've, they've recognized the, the problem. They're fixed it and they're going to score and they, he's going to catch eight passes and have 180 yards and it's going to be the turnaround game. And that was it, that was it. I think he had two catches in the whole game or something like that. He just wasn't involved, he's not a factor. So if you put Odell in, maybe he gives someone Mahomes is happy to throw to and maybe it just it's a matter of replacing Hardman and giving someone reliable there. And that has an impact, but how much of an impact if they keep playing this way? I don't know, we've been talking about the Chiefs as, are they going to make the playoffs? I'd probably still be questioning, are they going to make the playoffs with Odell?
0: Yeah, and they're the kind of team, if they get into the playoffs, they could be dangerous, but the more time passes, they're, they're looking... Not that impressive moving on to number two in the pick six love really hurts without you that is of course uh, the situation in packer in the packers where who are of course the opponents of the chiefs and you get the impression with some sort of competent quarterback play for the bulk of that game the packers would have come away with another w darren rogers situation from the last few days keen well publicized we touched on it last week and it has evolved in the days since to pat mcafee show appearances later um, I think Pat, I think Aaron Rodgers has been the front of most newspapers, led off most news programmes in America, so we don't have to dwell on that overly, but in terms of the footballing side of things, Jordan Love has given Rodgers a lot more leverage in the Green Bay situation because it's patently clear he's not ready to step into the shoes that Rodgers is sure to leave in this offseason.
1: I don't know how much Rodgers believes what he's been saying about COVID and vaccines the last couple of weeks, but I know for sure he did not believe what he said about Jordan Love this week because he came in and said Jordan was very impressive and he put up a good show and a good foundation to build on. And I, you could just see Rodgers is like, they tried to replace me with this guy. Like it, It's so incredibly frustrating for the Packers, I'd imagine, because they brought Jordan Love in to sit him and develop him. And then you put him in and he looks like this That's not any sort of confidence in you moving on from Aaron Rodgers. That's not any sort of confidence in you justifying that draft pick you spent on him that traded up to get him. Like when Jordan Love was the pick, the thing that has to be remembered is it made no sense because they had Aaron Rodgers, because they had major needs elsewhere, and they had a team that was built to win a Super Bowl right now. It made no sense to try and move on. But what was overlooked then was Jordan Love was not a great prospect by any means. He was picked at the end of the first round when he was probably a mid-second round prospect. He was a development guy. And when he played against the Chiefs last week, you just saw it. Like From his very first throw, he has a receiver wide open in the flat after play action, and he just throws the ball over his head. He gets to a third down soon after that. He feels he feels pressure when there's no pressure there, turns around and looks for a check down and throws it over his head. He tries to hit Devontae Adams down the left sideline. The ball's nowhere close, and Adams has to turn into a defender to prevent an interception. And that's just the way it went throughout the whole game. He... He's clearly not comfortable with the pace of the game. He's, he's not showing any pocket presence. His arm talent isn't what they wanted it to be because they probably compared him to Patrick Mahomes because that was a popular comparison. And he, he his ball placement and his, his accuracy was just absolutely erratic. Like He he was not throwing two receivers. He was throwing into the, the general area of his receiver receivers and hoping that they would come up with the ball. His biggest play of the game was a heave that Randall Cobb caught with a defender draped all over him. It was just a, a throw up in hope. So it's it, it's a... It's a very, very concerning game if you're a Packers fan looking to the future, and it's just further proof that the front office there has been an absolute shambles for years. So, I, I don't know. I, I try and take some positive, I try and hold back on a guy who's starting his first game like this, but you needed to see something, and he just didn't show anything.
0: Yeah, and shambles is right. Like, I would have had inherent sympathy for Rodgers's plight over the last few years. It's dissipated somewhat in the last few weeks at large, in the sense that. The reputation he'd built up has kind of drifted a little bit in terms of the position he's put himself in the middle of this culture war. Possibly he can reestablish those um, that good will he had with American sports fans, but but time will tell on that front. I presume we should move on to number three in the pick six, flat to the mat, and this is Matthew Stafford, keen who we gave the big sell in the preseason, but with some red flags. We we, we, we? did. No, listen. But we. You're not, you're not well, letting, we're saying we. You're not letting. All right, me, Anthony, Eddie. You're not letting me give you due credit here. I was going to say we gave him the big sale. What he's capable of, you know, great play, great arm. You know, bit of a never say die attitude, but he's got these weird wrinkles in his game where he can default and let you down. And as as bad as the Lions have been in terms of their own um, personnel situation and how they do things in the back office, he had some good players to work with down there as well. And didn't quite pan out so he wasn't entirely blameless in that and I think that was evidenced somewhat in what the Rams did and he was central to it. Two bizarre boneheaded interceptions.
1: Yeah what an ugly game of football like you wanted to see what the Titans were going to be like without Derek Henry and they were kind of predictably not good but the Rams then just what the hell were you doing? So the game was kind of floatering along until I think it was the early second quarter or late first quarter. And Stafford is drops back in the pocket, feels a bit of pressure, and then turns around and runs into his own end zone for some reason. And then he's at risk of a safety, so now he's panicking and he's throwing the ball up as he's being tackled, and it goes straight to a Titans defender who catches it, and the the, the Titans then score off a two-yard touchdown. I think it was a I can't remember exactly how they scored, but he comes back very next throw, the first throw to start the next drive, and Kevin Byard just sees his Kevin Byard's eyes just widen because Stafford tries to throw to the wide side on a on a late late on an out route. And if you know anything about quarterbacking, you can't do that because the wide side of the field means the ball's on the left hash. And it means the wide receiver is running to the far sideline. And it's, it's hard to see on the broadcast, but the weight of an NFL field is huge. Like it's not narrow the way it looks on a, on TV. So by the time the ball gets from the far hash to the opposite sideline, the safety, Kevin Byard, who's a phenomenal player for finding the ball is able to read that and see it and just run underneath it. And he's, He's there early so he can catch the ball in stride and run through all the way back to the end zone and suddenly the Rams are 14 points down to an offense that wasn't able to score otherwise and Matthew Safford has just ignited them and given them the opportunity to go ahead and win the game and that's kind of the, the earmark of who Matthew Safford is like I don't think it's a coincidence that that came on a Monday night football game against a, a, a reputable team I think. If you have Stafford in this situation, with this coaching staff, with this amount of talent, you'll get plenty of blows, you'll get plenty of impressive weeks, you'll get plenty of weeks where it looks like, oh yeah, we made a great deal here, what the hell were the Lions thinking giving this guy away? And then you'll come to three or four important games in the year, and that's what he'll do, he'll just collapse on himself, it's smart defense will put him in positions where the easy plays aren't there, and he'll, he'll fail to turn up. And, that's how you've got to measure quarterbacks at the highest level. If they can perform in the toughest scenarios, then yeah, you can trust in them and you can deal with their inconsistencies. But when they're liable to implode in themselves just because of a little bit of pressure, you're unlikely to go ahead and win a Super Bowl. And the Rams know this because they gave away Jared Goff for that very same, the same reason.
0: Yeah. Like, to be fair, he's put some decent tape together this season with the win over the Bucs, which I know that that felt like a, a big game and also probably a more important game for LA to win than Tampa Bay and he came through there so I do get the sense if they can get into the playoffs and there's no reason to suggest they won't they'll be a problem for anyone interesting to see and like the somewhat bizarre and annoying way they're assembling their roster it seems like it's quite reckless it's like a Madden save or something where you're just you don't care about the future you just uh, care about the now basically so like in one sense you can respect it but at the same time the Rams if they don't literally put something together, put some trophies in the cabinet in the next couple of seasons, it's going to be pretty grim reading for their fans in the latter part of this decade, I would say. We should move on. We to should it. say
1: Von Miller didn't play as well last yeah, week. Yeah,
0: like, like to, we kind of delved into this last week, the The impact he's going to have and gives them another, gives basically opposing coordinators another thing to think about with Aaron Donald there obviously being double teamed and Von Miller if he can get to whatever 60 70% of his capability is going to be a problem, so it should bode well for them going forward. But Rams certainly have been giving people their money's worth this season. Number four in the pick six, uh, Bridge over Troubled Water. Teddy Bridgewater, Keen. Did you like that one? That's, that's one of my most accomplished puns, I would say. But the Broncos going to Dallas and giving them a bit of a, a going over. Like, I don't know if this every season you get a couple of these and often when you look at them in retrospect they're just anomalies and don't say much about the overall scheme of things but from a Dallas point of view what would you read into it and from a Broncos point of view having lost the aforementioned Von Miller like it was kind of a, a, what do you call Bill Simmons' idea, the Ewing theory where you lose your best player and everybody raises their game was that what happened with Denver or was it just a weird performance
1: from Dallas? Yeah, um, I, I don't think Von Miller had that kind of reputation in Denver. I don't think losing him would have been... Maybe maybe the players there kind of took it as a bit of an insult. Maybe they, and they wanted a rebound to rebound and prove themselves. And that would be fair enough. Defensively, they were very good and they deserve a lot of credit. So I, I do think this game is more about Dallas, though. And I'm, I'm kind of reticent to just focus on the bigger team. But going through the game, that felt like what the storyline was. And it, it felt like a Dallas of old. First off, like... The Cowboys scored nothing on offense they they didn't score until garbage time at the end of the fourth quarter so they essentially got shut out and it's still astonishing to say that the defense was worse than the offense when the offense scored no points because you can go back through the game and the the offense got caught in a a trap and what happened is they went for it and fourth down twice early in the game and they were stopped on both occasions they went for it and fourth down early in the third quarter again they stopped again and this is a thing that gets overlooked when you're just talking about the numbers of going for it in fourth down versus punting. If you get caught on the wrong side of those numbers in one game like this, it has a huge impact. You're done, basically, because if you have three failed drives where you're giving up massive field position, the other team is going to get a lead and it's going to be ahead and it's going to be something you can't overcome. So that's just the risk reward aspect of going for it in fourth down. The offense will probably figure itself out. That, that, that's fine. You won't worry about that from the Cowboys point of view. The Broncos' defense is very good. They'll face lesser defenses moving forward. They'll get those fourth downs, and they'll score a lot of points. They'll be fine. Defensively, my God. When they got rid of Jalen Smith a few weeks ago, I thought they would actually recognized, okay, we've been invested in guys who are individuals and not playing for the group and playing their responsibilities, and that's not the case. We This Cowboys team, this Cowboys defense, looked exactly like the Cowboys' defenses we've seen from the last three or four years prior to this year. This year it felt like they were playing properly, but this then you just saw, like the Broncos came and they said, we're going to run the ball, and we're going to see if you can stop us. And the Cowboys had no interest in stopping them. No one was getting off blocks, no one was making tackles, and no one was showing, playing their responsibilities. They're playing Keanu Neal at middle linebacker now. He's a converted safety, used to play for the Falcons, Was a very, very good safety. He was all over the place because he was trying to play the pass all the time while the Broncos were running the ball. So there was literal plays where he's running in the wrong direction, running away from the ball, while the running back is going to his spot on the field. There's a play late in the game where Javante Williams is being tackled by a defensive tackle two yards downfield. And the defensive tackle is just hugging him, hugging him, hugging him, walking with him as he goes up the field and then lets him go for some reason. And he goes for 30 yards. There's a play, uh, I'm be honest, there's plays the whole way throughout the game. But there's a play with Melvin Gordon in the red zone going up the middle where the defensive tackle for the Cowboys is up against the left guard of the Broncos and the defensive tackle jumps sideways and gets pushed and then falls over and he's just lying on the ground watching as Melvin Gordon runs through the hole right in the middle of the defense. And it's stuff like this that is just not supposed to happen. Like, Mike Parsons actually stood out as well. He had a couple of plays where he didn't know interest in tackling anybody. And there's a level of toughness, a level of physicality, and, like, you don't question NFL players' of physicality because – this is literal car crashes in, on the field every single Sunday. So what they're doing is brutal. But in terms of a competition, and in terms of meeting the, the the challenge of the opposition, it wasn't there. They have to be something different. They have to play as a unit. They have to create together rather than searching for our own individual plays. And they have to hold up their responsibilities and gap assignments. And if they don't do that, every team is going to come into Dallas and they're going to run the ball 20 times. And if they do, they'll probably win the game.
0: That's it, isn't it? Like I I use the word anomaly there, but. Generally speaking, if you put something like this on tape for the opposition, you can't dismiss it as an aberration because what it is is a blueprint going forward. And as much as we've been hyping the Cowboys and they have been impressive in large ways of this season, you know that's like it's one of those you can park, but at the same time, it's going to be hard to forget because you know they can not produce another performance like that and expect to go much further in the postseason, especially. If that one went sort of off the rails, number five in the pick six, Lamar, you're not entertained. Lamar Jackson has gone very much to type for this season. And keen it's something we spoke about on previous series of this show where, as a Ravens fan, generally speaking, if Baltimore falls behind by 10 points, Lamar didn't quite have the wherewithal, I'd say, to be somewhat critical of him in the very early stages of his career and then latterly didn't have the weapons to... You know throw his way out of trouble people remember that game when tennessee beat the ravens who were number one seeds at the time and lamar actually played quite well in that game but he looked up trying to like have big time plays to to cut down the score line and there was just nobody there the ravens do have a decent receiving core there now and the running game has been patched together somehow given they lost everybody in preseason. but as much as i'm quite glad to see that he's added this string to his bow that he can Come from behind a lot more, you're not so convinced this comeback king label he has is a good thing.
1: Actually, Devin DuVernay made a couple of plays there that I didn't think he could make. Uh, so they, they are getting contributions, and Bateman has actually made some plays as well. So, the, what, like you said, the receiving core is getting better. I, maybe it's a great, uh, was it a Rorschach test where you get a quarterback who's winning games, and when you. Like, so the beauty of this is if you, in the NFL, if you play the first two quarters and you're terrible, and you, you're absolutely awful. You play terrible football and you've scored no points. And then in the second half, you come back and you score three touchdowns and your team wins the game 21-20. You look amazing. You look like, oh, yeah, he's a gamer. He's a winner. He's amazing. But if you flip it around and if you play a great first half and you score 21 points and then you do nothing in the second half, but the other team scores 20 points. And now suddenly you just won by one point. No one cares. No one is impressed with what you've done. Everyone's just going, why didn't you put that game away? Why didn't you end it? So it's very much kind of a what did you do for me lately approach, which is fine, I guess. But it's not really the way sport works, is it? Because if Jackson plays this way and Ravens offense play this way every single week where they're struggling for half a game, it's eventually going to catch up for them. So I think from my own perspective, I'm obviously a pessimist. That's probably a lot established. <laughs> but I'm obviously a pessimist on these things, and I'm obviously overly critical on these things. But I do wonder, like, you're, you're a Ravens fan. Do you feel good watching these games? Do you feel good about the experience of it? Because if it was me, I'd just be looking at it going, oh, God, we're going to get caught out one of these weeks, or it's going to be a playoff game when we get caught out and we can't overcome what we need to overcome.
0: Yeah, like... After those injuries we touched on there, I kind of resigned myself to a bit of an off year for the Ravens, so to find themselves where they are at the moment, I'm, I'm actually quite quite happy. We're in, uh, playing with house money a little bit, but I take your point totally, probably where you could fall down on the Ravens in previous years is that they played their best football at this time of year and then when it got to the playoffs they didn't have many bullets left in the chamber. At least now you know there's a huge ceiling for them there and they're going to get a few more players healthy, not the not the marquee players necessarily they need, but they're going to have uh, more options to choose from, particularly on defence. Their past defence has been a little bit shaky, so the Vikings probably should have won that game. But uh, it bodes well that the Ravens are winning while not playing well. Just briefly on that division, Keane, and again, it's something we seem to come back to every year. We sleep on this division every year and start talking about the West in the AFC and the NFC as really strong divisions. And all the time the AFC North comes back strongly. And you see the Browns, who are many people's favourites, that uh, coming into this season, have kind of bounced back with that win against Cincinnati. The Bengals, who were the number one team in the whole AFC, are now bottom of the division. And then the Steelers, who we wrote off entirely, <clears throat> excuse me, Ben Roethlisberger, looks like a sentient human again. So, what do you think?
1: Can I just point out that the Vikings probably should have won that game. That should be the motto of the Kirk Cousins era. If they make it 30 for 30, <laughs> just put it that. That's Kirk Cousins. Um, yeah, that division, to be honest, I think the Ravens have to feel really good about it right now. Two weeks ago, it was like the Bengals are going to be here. We We all bought into the Bengals and everything looked good for the Bengals. And... Since then, they've betrayed us and just made us look like fools. And Jamash Ace has actually slowed down a little bit. The Browns, I just the Browns are not a, like a good enough team at all. Like I know they had a win or whatever, but the, you, we've seen with them like after Odell left and Mayfield had that big play to Donald for people's jones You saw everyone going, oh yeah, maybe Odell was the problem, maybe Baker's not the problem. But it's like we've seen Baker have these types of games. We know what he is. He's up and down, up and down, up and down. He's never been consistent enough, and the Browns are never consistent enough. So it really comes down to the Ravens, and if you believe in the Steelers, I mean the Steelers. That Chicago game on Monday night, like the Bears can feel aggrieved about that. <laughs> there were many different things from oh that game. God.
0: Absolutely wild, wasn't it?
1: I don't know how you explained that clip with the referee on Cassius Marsh, but I, 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 let's not even get into it. Either way, I think it's the Ravens division. It's kind of funny. We came into the year going, Yeah, it's the Ravens division. Then the first month, it was like the Ravens are still winning, but it doesn't really look like it's their division. And now we're back to it's the Ravens division. So in three weeks again, we could be saying something completely different again.
0: Yeah. And speaking of things we didn't foresee, just before we say goodbye to everybody, number six on the pick six, Josh and Josh. And the kind of weird, quirky thing that happened last weekend was Josh Allen sacking Josh Allen. Much like the question I posed you on Denver against Dallas, the Jags beating the Bills 9-6. You just look at that scoreboard, you're thinking, geez, what happened there? What way do you fall down? Was this more a reflection on the Jags rallying or the Bills just having an absolute nightmare?
1: Combination of both. Josh Allen is a very, very good defensive end and a very, very good outside linebacker who's been nullified a bit by his coaching staff this year because his coaching staff is not good. But they got a perfect game plan against this Bills offense. They sat in zone a lot. They rushed for a lot. They didn't give Josh Allen any opportunities to throw the ball deep downfield or throw the ball to the intermediate level. And what happens then is Josh Allen has to make quick decisions and throw underneath, which is not what he's particularly good at. And it also, uh, but they were also able to do that because Tab and Brian had a huge game on the interior, Josh Allen had a huge game on the outside. So they were getting pressure with that four-man rush, and both of uh, Allen's, in- well, at least one of Allen's interceptions came from a disguised pass rush where they blitzed off the corner, off the slot, dropped Josh Allen back into space. He intercepted the ball from Josh Allen, the quarterback, and then he, and that was because he misread the coverage of what was happening. And they did a great job of being very patient defensively, of forcing the Bills to take the checkdowns, to take check the the shorter throws and then strike when they had the opportunity, then show something different and change it up. And Josh Allen, the quarterback, was just confused throughout the game. The Bills failing, they needed to run the ball. They needed to commit to running the ball because that's the only way you can get the Jaguars out of that game plan that they had, and they didn't do it. So the the Bills can go and reassess. They have solutions to the problems they showed. The Jaguars should take a lot of heart from that, even though like Trevor Lawrence didn't have a good game, obviously, and the offense didn't do, do anything. And Trevor Lawrence actually got hurt during the game as well. But defensively, this unit got destroyed by the Houston Texans in week one and they did so by the Texans using the same three players over and over and over again and that is a complete night and day from what happened last week where they were the ones dictating to the Bills offense they were the ones posing the threat posing the problem so they should feel really good about that aspect of it but in general of course the Jaguars don't have much to feel good about and in general the Bills have a lot to feel good about so this would probably end up being just a blip on the radar by the end of the year.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And there we have it. We did our best to distill what was possibly the busiest NFL week of recent memory, but great analysis from Keane as ever. We'll chat to him again next week. And thanks to JP and Andy for helping put the show together. Thanks to all of you for tuning in. We'll chat to you next Thursday.